Well, good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. I'm glad this, you're here. I'm glad I'm here, and uh, we welcome you. Boy, the, the band sort of showed off this morning, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss Sandy, she really got down on it. Woo! I think I'm a closet charismatic anyway, so I'll Fly Away was my mama's favorite song, and, uh, and it was a great way to open the service. This is a series I'm starting today called Me and My Two Sons. Today we're going to talk about will you come to my party? And then next week I'm going to introduce you to the boys. Have you met my two sons? And I hope to introduce them to you in a way you've never met them before. And then our third sermon is have you ever been homesick? You ever been homesick? How many of you guys in the military that were homesick? Woo! Woo! I don't even have to go away to be homesick. I can get homesick just, I get homesick really easy. We'll talk about that. And then the last one is, what is it with older brothers? Any of you have an older brother? I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. So that's our series. And I hope you'll be here uh, for the whole series. Let's pray, and we'll get down to it. Father, thank you that in this great parable, we learn that you are a God of loving kindness, a God of second chances. We praise you for your love and rejoice in the words of that great old hymn, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Father, let your word today show us that you are a God of joy. Show us that you are a God who comes searching for the lost, and when you find them, you throw a party, and we're invited. And Father, when we wander off, when we wander off to the far country, help us to come to ourselves and come home to you knowing that you will welcome us with open arms. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Near the time that I was graduating from high school, one of my classmates said to me, Eldie, what are you going to do after high school? And I said, well, I'm going to go to Johnson Bible College, Johnson University now. I'm going to go to Johnson to study for the ministry. And he got this odd look on his face. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I just don't see you as a preacher. <laughs> and I said, well, why do, you, why do you say that? Why don't you think that I could be a preacher? And he said, well, I don't know, but you seem like such a happy person. <laughs> Karl Marx one time met a Catholic priest, and the Catholic priest said, I want to thank you, Mr. Marx, for bringing so much joy to so many people. And, Karl, and, Mar and uh, Marx said to him, and I want to thank you for killing most of it, Father. <laughs> After church, if you go out to eat or you go to the mall and you say the word, happy hour, I guarantee you no one would think that you had just left 
a church service. Why? The way that we display our faith reflects what we really believe about God. Amen? The way that we display our faith really reflects what we believe about God. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make in the greatest story that was ever told. What you people display, the faith that you display, shows the kind of God you believe in. And I'm going to teach you the real God you should believe in. What's the whole story is all about? It begins in Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 1 to one and 2 like this. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Now, there were a lot of false charges against Jesus during his day. But there was one true thing that he was accused of, and it stuck. And the Pharisees would not be caught dead eating with such sinful people. But according to this text, everything is in the present tense, which meant that Jesus did this all the time. This was his custom, to eat, as the text says, with sinful people. Drove the Pharisees crazy. And the Pharisees were offended at Jesus celebrating with sinful people. Now, have you ever been offended by a celebration? Hmm? Have you ever been offended by a celebration? I'll tell you a celebration that really offended me and offended the American people. I don't know if I'm saying this man's name right or not. Al, let me see if I got it right. Al Megahi. Al Megahi. You know who he was? I may be saying it wrong, but you know who he was? He was the terrorist who killed 270 people in that airplane over Lockerbie, Scotland. Remember that? Remember that? 270 people. And remember they released him because they said he was dying. He really wasn't. They released him to go back to Libya because they said he's going to die. Do you remember when he landed? Do you remember seeing the news clip when he landed and the celebration that they had for this terrorist who had killed 270 people? They had T-shirts with his picture on them. They were waving Libyan flags, and in defiance and in mockery, they were waving Scottish flags. Remember how that made you feel? I know how it made me feel. Susan Cohen, whose 20-year-old daughter was killed in that attack, this is what she said after it. I think it's appalling, disgusting, and so sickening that I could hardly find words to describe it. Have you ever been offended or ever lost a basketball game or a football game, and you were offended by the celebration of the winning team, huh? Now, I was there whenever we beat Kansas, and I didn't care whether Kansas was offended or not. I was going to celebrate. <laughs> the Pharisees were offended when Jesus parted with the scumbag sinners. 
and the Pharisees revealed their belief in God. Now, (laughs) the God that they believed in, when he had a party, his invitation list would have been very short. But Jesus reveals a different God than the one the Pharisees believed in, and he does it in three great stories. The first one is for the men, and it begins in verse 3. And so Jesus told this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, look at this, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, when one, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, in those days, sheep were not kept for meat. They didn't, kill them. They didn't raise them to kill them to eat. They raised them for their wool. They had them a long time. The shepherd called them by name. They knew his voice. They knew their name. He loved those sheep. And when one of them got lost, he would not rest until he found it. The second story is for you ladies. And it begins in verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there will be joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, you need to understand this was not a quarter that just fell out of her coin purse. In those days, a married woman would wear a necklace of ten coins, and that was her identity. Ladies, that would be like you losing your wedding ring. She turned that house upside down until she found the coin. Now, have you ever lost something that had a value to you that far exceeded its actual worth? It wasn't worth much, but to you, it was invaluable. Maybe it was an heirloom from your grandparents. Or maybe it was something that your kids made in kindergarten out of sticks and pastry. Or maybe it was your wedding ring. You lost something, didn't have any value to anybody else, but it was of great value to you. A few years ago in Tel Aviv, there was a daughter noticed that her mother's mattress was worn out and in bad shape. So she thought she would surprise her mother and buy her a new mattress. She did, carried the old mattress out on the street so that it could be carried away by the garbage man. That night when her mama went to bed, she thought, well, my bed feels different tonight. The next morning when she woke up, she pulled back the covers and she screamed. That's when her daughter realized or learned that her mother did not trust banks 
and she had hid over a million dollars in that mattress. Guess what they did the rest of the day? (laughs) Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, because of the way you think about God, you think of these people as filthy and dirty, and they need to be thrown out like garbage. But God says they have incredible value, and somebody ought to find them. Now, the last story, the third story, is for the Pharisees. As I said, I'm going to do three more sermons on it, but let me summarize it. The story is stunning. Some call it the greatest story ever told. And it goes like this. A Jewish father had two sons. Now, in that culture, nothing was more valuable to them than land. That, that's, uh, that's not us. That's hard for us to understand. But everybody knew when the father died, the boys would inherit the land and the boys would work the land. And you never got rid of the land. The land was the most valuable thing that you owned. Well, the youngest son goes to the father and he says something that stuns the crowd. The crowd's listening to this and it stuns them. In that culture, if a boy went to his father and said what he said to his father, he would probably have been whipped and run out of the family. But he goes to his dad and he says, I... (laughs) I don't have time sitting around here waiting for you to die. Since you aren't going to die soon enough, I want my inheritance now. Now, the only thing more shocking than the boy's request is that the dad said yes. And in order for him to have his inheritance, he had to give a portion of the land to the son and deed a portion of the land to the son. Now, it gets worse. He did deed the boy a portion of the land, and the boy sold the land. You can't go to the big city and buy beer and marijuana and do the things that he wanted to do with just a deed. And those listening could not believe what they were hearing. He sold the land. He turned his deed into cash. Because everybody knows a country boy who's going to the big city with a pocket full of money, you know what he's going to do. And he did it. And the people hearing this are thinking, this father does not deserve a son like this. Doesn't deserve it at all. But that father loved that boy so much that he could not make that boy stay, but he also loved him so much he could not let him go, and he was in his heart every day. And every day he would stand looking down the lane, hoping to see his boy come home. Let's pick it up in verse 20. So he returned. This is the son. So the son returned home to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. Don't you love that? He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and sandals for his seat. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this my son was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And get this, so the party began. Nobody in that day ever thought about God like this. Nobody. Now, most of us have heard this story all of our lives. And we still don't believe in a God like this. I've been on jury duty. Whew. You don't want to be come before the court if I'm on the jury. I'll hang you. <laughs> and I've been on jury duty. And I've been watching the judge sit behind that big desk with a robe on judging people. We can believe in a God like that. We believe in a God like that. That's the God I was taught to believe in. How about you? That he's nothing but a judge waiting to accuse you. Or we can see him in a boardroom running this universe. Or we can see him up here singing on the platform and us singing worship and praise songs. We can see a God like that. (laughs) But can you ever see God at a party? Can you see God at a party? Now, I don't want to be irreverent. But can you picture God dressed in shorts and Hawaiian shirt? Jim Woolham, maybe, but not God. No, you can't. You either see him wearing a white, scratchy robe or a black polyester suit, right? And Jesus is saying, if you never see God right, you'll never see people right. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. If you never see God right, you'll never see Jesus right. Are people right? The idea of a party is critical in understanding God. Now, I got three things I want to say about this story. Let's begin with this. First of all, each story starts with something that's lost. Are you with me? Each story starts with something that's lost. In every story, something of value is lost. And Jesus uses the word lost. In each story, the owner of what is lost goes to great trouble to find what is lost. It's valuable. Now, folks, biblically speaking, it's a terrible thing to be lost. Lost is a strong word. It's the same word that the disciples used when Jesus was asleep in the boat and they wake him up and they say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Same word that Jesus uses in the parable. It's the same word that Peter uses in 2 Peter when he says, God is not willing that any should perish. Same word, lost. Lost is a scary word. And Jesus used the word all the time. And boy, you hardly ever hear the church use it today, do you? Have you noticed nobody's lost anymore? Have you noticed that? They're unchurched. They're seekers. They're on a journey. Nobody's lost anymore. That's not how Jesus saw it. 
Jesus used the word lost, and because he used the word lost, it determined his mission. There was another scumbag that Jesus had dinner with. His name was Zacchaeus. And he goes in the house of Zacchaeus, and he has a party with Zacchaeus. And outside stand the critics, and Jesus comes out to them, and they grumble. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. In every story, something is lost. Notice also, too, number two, each story moves toward a recovery. Each story moves toward recovery. There is a terrible tension in those listening to this story, and they're sitting there asking themselves, will there be a recovery? In the first two stories, there is an all-out search that takes place. Fred Craddock, remember my friend Fred Craddock from last week? He wrote a wonderful commentary on Luke. He says, So strong is the love for the lost sheep that the 99 are left in the wilderness while the search goes on. But how is one to assess the search by the shepherd who leaves 99 in the wilderness? Either the shepherd is foolish or the sheep of the shepherd loves the lost sheep and will risk everything, including his own life, until he finds it. In Jesus' view, people are not seekers. God is the seeker. And God is looking for his lost children. Now, in this third story, it's hard for us to appreciate what happened. And man, when Jesus told it, the people listening to it must have really been shocked and must have raised their eyebrows because when Jesus said, The father ran to that boy. It must have shocked that crowd. Now, you know, in that day, men wore robe. They wore women dresses. And in order for that father to run to his son, he had to pull up his his woman dress above his knees and run to his son. In that culture, you need to understand, when a man turned 30, he never showed his legs. It was improper. And in that culture, a man never ran. And here this father is, hiking up his woman dress and running to his lost boy. The only way the father could run to his son was to look as disgraceful as the son did and take the shame upon himself. Now, listen to me. In that run, the father, in that run, you see another story. A terrible sprint from heaven to the cross. Now, allow me to tell this story with a different twist. There's father, had two sons. The first son's name was Joshua. Joshua was the perfect son. He lived to do his father's will. His second boy's name was Adam. Adam was a rebel. Adam was very rebellious against his father. And one day he said to his dad, I am out of here. I've had it. I am out of here. I'm on my own. And he left. 
Joshua stayed home and he did, he, he was still the perfect son. He lived to please the father. But there was something in the father's heart that broke the day that Adam left. And there was nothing that Joshua could do to heal it. Joshua made the decision. I've got to go find Adam. So he started hanging out at the marketplace, listening to the vendors. And finally, he got a word of where Adam was. And that night at the supper table, he said, Dad, I found out where Adam is. He's sick. He's dirty. He's broke. He's dying. And he can't come home unless you send me to that filthy place to find him. And the father sent Joshua. He risked his perfect son to find Adam. Joshua found Adam. He was sleeping in the stall of a barn. He was sick. He was weak. He smelled like a pig pen. He was in a semi-coma. Joshua cradled him in his arms and petted his brow and washed his face with cool water. And Adam woke up and he said, Joshua, is that you? Is that you? What are you, what are you doing here? I've come to take you home. Dad misses you so much. Well, I'm too weak, Joshua. I I can't walk. I can't make it home. I'll carry you on my back. And about that time, the pig farmer opened the door and he said, You can't have him. He's mine. He's in my debt. And Joshua stood up big and strong and he said, Then I'll pay the debt. And I'll give my life for Adam. Because Adam's going home. And Joshua made a yoke in the shape of a cross. And he took Adam back to the Father. No Pharisee ever saw God like that. If they did, (laughs) they'd have joined the party. No Pharisee. Ever saw God like that? All right, let's do a little one of my reviews. Are you with me? Gives you a chance to catch your breath now. Each story starts with something that's lost. Each story moves toward a recovery. And each story ends with a party. Each story ends with a party. Dear old Fred Craddock in his commentary said, The joy of finding is so abundant that it cannot be contained. One person alone cannot adequately celebrate it. There must be a party to which others are invited. Every story ends with a party. In every story, finding demands a party. And everybody is happy except the older brother and the fatted calf. Everybody is happy, and it ends in joy. But the older brother, we're going to do a whole sermon on older brothers. The older brother is offended by the father's grace. 
He is acting just like the Pharisees. That older brother is offended because the father gave the younger brother a party and rejoiced because he came home. And that celebration offended the older brother. Fred Craddock continues, it was the music and the dancing that offended the older son. (laughs) Of course, let the younger son return home, but... Where does it say that such provisions include a banquet with music and dancing? Yes, let the prodigal return, but to bread and water, not fatted calf, in sackcloth, not a new robe, wearing ashes, not a new ring, in tears, not in merriment, kneeling, not in dancing. So the party offended the older brother, but not having a party was not an option. And here's the older brother standing out there in the dark pouting. His dad goes out to him. And his dad says, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he is found. Now, Jesus uses a very strong word there when he says, we had to celebrate. Son, we had to celebrate. You see, God cannot deny his character. When one of his children comes home, he has to. To celebrate. He can't deny his character. God has to throw a party when one of his kids come home. Now, Tim Keller, in his wonderful little book, The Prodigal God, and, and if you want to read something along with this serious message, Tim Keller's little book on the prodigal God is about the best thing that I've read on it except Henry Nowens. But in that book, he calls his book about psalm about Luke 15 the prodigal God hmm and Keller says this the word prodigal means reckless extravagant prodigal means you throw caution to the wind and spin 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 do you see what kind of party the father threw the father paid for the best The father was extravagantly reckless in his love for his son. That boy didn't have to earn his way back into the family. That boy didn't have to work to get back to his father's table. That father in his reckless, extravagant love simply takes him back as though he had never been gone. His father didn't consider the cost of the party. That's why you had a fatted calf. It wasn't for the family. They didn't eat a lot of meat in those days. They kept a fatted calf for celebrations. And it usually was a community celebration and invited everyone to come to the party. Folks, I won't tell you. A gospel without joy has lost its message. A gospel without joy has lost this message. And somehow we've lost that. 
And every day we meet people like my classmate who does not connect Christianity with joy. I I don't want to be mean. But I think our churches are filled with people who look like they were born on the dark side of the moon, winged on dill pickles and baptized in lemon juice. And they think that's the way it's supposed to be. Maybe the problem is this. Our churches aren't full enough of younger brothers and they're too full of older brothers. Now some of you have had bad experience with older brother Christians. <laughs> Legalistic, Pharisaic, older brother Christians. But older brother religion and Christianity are not the same. Jesus came to find and party with the lost. See, you can be as lost in a pig pen or you can still be lost in the pew and you'll miss the party. Either way, you'll miss the party. And it wasn't because you weren't invited. I want you to look at the screen. One of the most outstanding college football players of our country was this young man, Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy played quarterback for the University of Texas. He was nominated for the Heisman Trophy in 2009, did not get it. He was nominated for the Heisman again in 2010, and he won it. And now he quarterbacks for the Washington Redskins. Colt McCoy is a better person than he is a football player. He is a solid Through and through Christian. He's a Tim Tebow type kid. He really is. And I'm happy to say he was from one of our churches in Austin, Texas. Colt called his grandmother. And he said, Grandma, tonight I want you to pray. Well, what about Colt? Well, Grandma, several of these football players want to meet with me and have a Bible study. They've been asking me lots of questions about baptism. And I'm going to meet with them tonight. We're going to have a Bible study. Will you pray while we're having the Bible study? Of course, Colt. I'll pray for you, honey. Well, Colt met with about 15 of those great big old football players. And they were studying the book of Acts, having a great discussion. They come to Acts, the eighth chapter. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch and his question? He says... Well, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And one of those big old football players stood up and said, some of us need to be baptized. We got a pool right here. Some of us need to accept Jesus. Some of us need to get baptized. What's to keep us from being baptized? Colt baptized five of those great big old football players. Called his grandma that night about 10 o'clock to thank her for praying and to tell her the good news of what happened. And his grandmother says, Colt, I can't hardly hear you. What's all that noise? Well, grandma, they're celebrating. They're celebrating. No one had to tell them to celebrate, they were celebrating because once they were lost, And now they're found. And they were throwing a party. You see, folks, 
we should throw a party when a lost person comes on. I remember the first time that someone clapped when we had a baptism at First Church. <gasps> it was a visitor who didn't know him better. <coughs> and ever since then, they do what you do. They clap. They whistle. They celebrate just like you do when there's a baptism. And why shouldn't we? Because a lost child has been found. Now, my time's up. (laughs) But I really don't care. (laughs) Folks, one day we are going to go to the party of all To a life of faith, to live a life of faith in Jesus will bring us one of these days to the ultimate party, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope Jesus lets my grandma fix it. Now, we have a foretaste of that on this earth. This morning during that worship service, if you didn't get a foretaste of glory, there's not a whole lot we can do for you. There's not a whole lot we can do for you. But through worship, through our time that we spend alone with God and spend with one another praying, serving those that need to be served and doing it in Jesus' name, being changed from the inside out, relationships healed, and what we've been talking about, the encouragement and love that we get from family and friends sometimes is just a foretaste of what's to come. But there's a passage in Isaiah, the 25th chapter, I bet you didn't even know that was there. This is the Old Testament. The prophet says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. You like this party already? On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Listen to this. This is Old Testament. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away their tears from their all the Lord the sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Amen. Amen. Someday we're going to the party of all parties. And we're going to be gathered around that big table with friends and family that we have loved and lost for a while. And at the head of the table is going to be Jesus. And we're going to look at the head of the table and praise the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. And because of his death, we're allowed the table. Now, everybody hears Adam. Everybody here is the wrong kind of person. 
And if you go to a party with the wrong kind of people, you're at the right kind of party. <laughs> if you go to a party with the wrong kind of people, you're at the right kind of party. Because that's the party Jesus would be at. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming to find us. And thank you when it comes to your grace, you're a prodigal God who is recklessly extravagant with his grace. Thank you that we serve a God of joy, a God of joy who celebrates over his children who are lost and found, a God who's going to throw a party for us one of these days. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to the party of all parties, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Woo! And we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Today we're going to invite you to a party. We're going to invite you to the party of all parties, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you can't come unless you accept the Lamb who died for you. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And in one day, one glorious day, man, are we going to party. And you know what? It won't end. It'll go on forever and ever and ever. I can hardly wait. So today I invite you to come. To, you're invited to the party. Don't miss the party for anything on earth. Come to the communion stations and serve yourself if you want to remember the Lord and his sacrifice for you. If you want someone to pray with you, use these steps as an altar. Come here and one of the guys will be glad to pray with you, whatever need you may have. Most assuredly, you're invited.